in three, two. All right, folks, I hope you're ready because it is time for us to get all up in your business. In this episode, we are discussing the impact the pandemic is having on retail businesses with our guest, Ashley Alderson, starting right now. Mm. All right. In my head, I'm imagining music right now. Welcome, everyone. I am Mike Michalowicz. I am the author on a mission. In fact, if you're watching the video right now, I'm in my office. Wall, I got a brand new sign that says Eradicate Entrepreneurial Poverty. Um, that's always been my mission. And I have a sign to remind myself every single morning. And you know what that is. That is that perception that you are wildly successful because you own a business, that you're making all this money, that you just hang out and do whatever you want whenever you want. But the reality is you're working your tail off and you're not making money. We close that gap. In this economy, this new economy, the world depends on small business success more than ever. The world is starving for your success. So you got to bring it. And we are here to help you bring it. I'm also joined in the studio by, well, virtually in studio because the little pandemic sitch with Kelsey Ayers. Hey, Kelsey. Hey, hello, friend. Thank you for listening to us. And uh, Jay Kablonsters here. Hey, what's up? And uh, Amy, you changed your name back to Amy Cartelli. Hey, Amy. And she has herself on mute. And that's how she likes to roll, by the way. That is how I like to roll. Do everything a little bit half-assed back. No, my favorite ever, Amy, was still when you had the the headset on upside shut up. down. Just shut up. <laughs> that was awesome. Um, and thank you guys for being here and listening in. Um, now, let's get right down to business. We got to talk about this pandemic situation and how retail businesses are navigating it. Ashley is the founder of the Boutique Hub, the central connection point of the global retail boutique industry. Inside thousands of boutique owners, uh, wholesale brands, and industry service providers connect daily for ongoing education support, wholesale buying, live conferences, events, and the opportunity to raise the voice of the industry. And this industry needs to have a voice. It needs to have a presence and needs to change. So with no further ado, Ashley, welcome to our show. Hello. Welcome, yeah. Ashley. <laughs> hey, guys. So Ashley, it must be crazy. What what's it like? You now you're you're in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. what, what are things like where you are right now with the pandemic going on? Yeah. So where we're at, like we are locked down more than any of the other states around us. Uh, oh. So locally, we're uh, there's not a whole lot going on. So it's really forced so many businesses, if they aren't already online, to get online and to market in such creative ways, which really makes me excited because I think there's going to be so many new opportunities that come from this because everyone's been forced to pivot and right. to audit how they're doing businesses and get creative. But yeah, but it doesn't feel that way, right? I mean, people aren't like, oh, this is amazing. <laughs> no. Um, this is opportunity. Um, what are retail owners feeling like right now? Well, there's, there's different types of retailers that I would say are taking it different ways. Two different types of retailers we work with. The brick and mortar mom and pop retailer, and then the e-commerce business, or maybe someone who has a combination of both, more omni-channel. And I would say those that were more omni-channel, they found their stride because they realized they had to be on social media. They had to be doing videos. They were finding new ways to reach customers and more so, I would say, build relationships with customers just by connecting to the chaos that we're all living in. And then the brick and mortar retailers have figured out, you know what, if if I want my brick and mortar to succeed, I can't put all my eggs in one basket. I have to figure out how I'm going to create a second revenue stream by being online and giving people online the same experience I'm able to give them in store. 
So when this all started, I mean, that was a lot of curbside pickup. It was live sailing. It was delivery. It was, you know, driving by and tossing something up onto your porch. Um, but now that's shifted. And I think it's, it's helped so many small businesses, like I said, see the opportunity in terms of moving online. But it's, it's been bumpy for some of them to try to figure out how to get there. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, do you feel they can make the shift fast enough, these brick and mortars to the new norm? I think it depends on a couple of things. I think initially they had to know their numbers. Like if you were a small business owner, and I, I think small business owners can all agree, uh, we a lot of times get into the business because we love people or we love marketing or we love the dream of having a business, but we don't love the number side of the business. Or we kind of act like an ostrich and put our heads in the sand and we don't know what our break even is. And we aren't paying ourselves because we believe in this you know, theory that businesses aren't supposed to make money in the first five years, which I don't know who told them that live, but that, that isn't how it's supposed to be. That was me, by the way. I probably did that all the time. <laughs> right? Dang you, Mike McCallowitt. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I think they had to get over the initial hurdle of going, I can't grow a business by cutting revenue, right? Mm-hmm. I can only grow a business by building revenue uh, or cutting expenses rather. I think I got that backwards. So if they could start focusing on building another revenue stream versus just how do I cut payroll? How do I cut all these subscriptions? If they could focus on the new opportunity versus again, just like the the lean part of business, then I think we started to make some headway. Yeah. But isn't there a balance? I mean, don't I need to cut costs while increasing sales? Uh, It's kind of like that, that old symbol they use for law firms. You have that balance. Um, Is I got to pursue new sales. I need them quickly but also I can't sustain the way I'm doing. So, so how do I handle both things at once? Yeah, I think it, it comes down to looking at the expense side of it first. Like you do, you're right. You have to have both. Absolutely. But if they didn't know their numbers in the first place, yeah. if they weren't finding a way to use profit first in the first place and pay themselves in the first place, then there was a bit of a disparity. Like they had to get the numbers in order in order to focus on the second revenue stream and to build revenue. Okay. Well, let's say that's a circumstance. I, I can't imagine how many businesses didn't know their numbers. They weren't prepared for this. And you know, the, the Friday before COVID hits, they're like, you know, business is solid. And then yeah. Monday they return and the, there's a lock on their door. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you didn't know your numbers. Is there a way to recover if you were ill-prepared for this or not prepared whatsoever? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I I think obviously going into knowing your numbers to getting into the break even and understanding where can I get lean. But then I think it's just going back to why are we in business in the first place? Mm. To me, the recovery is going back to we're here not just to sell a widget, not just to make money, but also to serve people. And in my opinion, a, a greater good, right? So I think the businesses that pivoted understood internally what they needed to do to pivot, but then externally started to immediately reach out to their customers because not only were they on this like brand new ground that they'd never been on before, but so was everyone who was shopping with them. So if they could get into their marketing and start going live, start talking about homeschooling with their kids or what they're going to make for dinner tonight because they haven't cooked a meal in the last month, right? Or like this new normal that they're all in. All of a sudden we started to see real community being built around these small businesses that I don't think existed um, to this level before that, right? I think the media paints this picture of a retail apocalypse that's happened for the last several years. But really I think what it is, is people are starting to realize more and more that People want to do business with people. And that's what makes small businesses so special is that personal connection. So the, the business owner that started to climb their way out of this the quickest is the one that went back to the personal connection that made them so special to begin with. It's you and I doing business together 
through social media, even though I have a brick and mortar, or maybe I have a website, but it's getting present through video and getting present through our marketing that really started to help them get traction and money follows eyeballs, right? The more they could build relationship through marketing, the more they could show up and just relate to this crazy world that we're all in. Then as they started to offer more products, now that second revenue stream can start to build. Okay. So this makes sense, but I wonder if we can boil it down to some very practical steps. Hey, Amy, what's that eyewear store here in Budin? Is it Eve's? Evie's? Evie's. Yeah. Evie's eyewear. Have you ever been in there? I haven't. Okay. So Ron I've been in has, there. and he loves it. Who does? Ron. Oh, Ron. Okay. So Evie's eyewear actually is this, this little boutique retail store. It's a higher end uh, eyeglasses and, you know, I guess there's, there's, this is the kind of the polar opposites, but there's the Walmart down the street yeah. that you can get glasses for $10 or you can go to Evie's or Eve's and you can get them for $500, yeah. but they're shuttered. Walmart's still open. Mm-hmm. I see. And we're, Amy, we're right across the street from them, right? I mean, yeah. yeah. So we, we see inventory piling up. They're still receiving glasses. What can they do, Ashley? Someone like that what can they do to start winning over the community? I, I don't even know if she knows online marketing or any of that stuff. She's just been a presence in the community, but not an efficient marketer to the community, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, number one, I think she's got to be present on the most important social channels for her demographic, which is more than likely Facebook, Instagram, right? Okay. She's got to have an email list. And if she's got phone numbers, a text list for most important things. Second, she's got to start showing up on Facebook live and on Instagram live. She's got to be able to go live in the store, talk about the glasses, talk about whatever product she can still market during this time. Right. And just start to build that personal connection. Third would be what's the value proposition. Why would I shop with her versus Walmart? What's the difference, right? She's got a personal why and a mission. She's got customer service. She's got probably different return policies and that sort of thing, but she has value, but she's got to be able to share it. Right. Mm. And she can offer her products through that value proposition. But fifth, she's got to show up and she's got to just be a human. Mm. She's got to relate to them on a level that they feel like this, this woman gets me. This woman understands where I'm at. And this woman also has shown me that she pays her local taxes. She donates to the local baseball team, right? She, she's involved in all these community events that we have going on that Walmart perhaps isn't involved with, right? So the more she can separate herself, both by price, by value, by how she gives back to the community, but then just get present in her marketing through video on Facebook and Instagram, I think that's what's going to help her survive this pandemic. Do you see people in this pandemic focusing more on community? Does it really matter more or is it still all about price because people are losing jobs? No, I think it's all about community. In my opinion, I I think that um, price shoppers aren't necessarily loyal shoppers, but if you can hit someone and build a relationship with them, they're going to be loyal to you no matter what. And what's surprising to me is, you know, there are so many people losing their jobs. You're right. But at the same time, the, the consumer is so captive, right? There are people that still do have a job. They're working from home. We've seen some of our members, some boutique owners, honestly have record-breaking months, like by far record-breaking months. And that really surprised everybody because, again, we're, we're thinking everyone's losing their job. There's no spending. Right. But really what it is is I think people just want to feel normal. 
Like this is not normal for any of us. And so for whatever reason, it's buying that pair of eyeglasses or it's buying this new denim jacket or, you know, it's transition into spring. It's buying some, you know, bright colored outfit, whatever it is, even if you're going to wear it on the couch, it doesn't matter if it makes them feel normal, the consumer still looks for it. You know, through the past recessions that our company or that our country has gone through one beauty product has been a top seller and has never lost money. And you know what that is? I know is? what it is. What? Beer. <laughs> because beer makes everyone look beautiful. <laughs> is that it? Did I win? Second, second beauty product. Okay. Beer and lipstick, right? Could you wear those both at the same time, Mike? You think beer and lipstick? I, I, do, I, I Listen, I would. The danger is I would, yeah. <laughs> and with enough well, beer, I would start looking beautiful again with lipstick on. Exactly. So why lipstick? I, why is lipstick the number one product? You know, because women want to feel good about themselves. Yeah. It's something that you can put on that's inexpensive. It's an opportunity to feel confident, to have a sense of normalcy, right? And to not feel like you're struggling in all the other areas of your life that you might be struggling in. So I think that's why boutiques, again, why consumer spending is so high is it goes back to, I just want to feel a little bit normal. I want to feel a little bit like myself. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. What about some, I see some businesses trying trying to rapidly adjust and they want to make COVID masks, you know, these medical masks and um, gloves and other products. Is that smart to, to adjust to that new need or is that distracting from our core competency? Ah, that's a really good question. Uh, yeah. I've, a little bit of both. Okay. Right. I think initially there was some way, there was initially a way for people to stand out people that were early to that. But at this point, I would say everyone's adjusted to the point where it's not as great of a need right? It's not something that's unique. There's a lot of people that are going to be in that market. So I think if you were just a little bit late, you're just taking away from what your core competency is. And it's kind of like the theory of, I can't grow a business by cutting my expenses, right? So if I'm taking away from what is my revenue stream, what am I really good at? What's my queen bee role, right? Mm -hmm. If I take away from that, then I'm going to lose in the long run. This is a little bit out of left field, but it just hit home yesterday. So uh, I have an in-law who um, is in a, sp a space where they make games, they make like puzzles and stuff like this. And they have one product that's really hitting it now because so many people want puzzles at home. And then they notice then it looks like China. Uh, and I'm not trying to point mm -hmm. fingers is now cloning and duplicating and trying to sell into this market, their exact product because it's a hit. Um, as we innovate and we make new solutions for what's going on now to serve customers, is there ways to also protect our retail businesses? Mm, that's a that's a great question and a great example. And I'll use an example in the apparel industry because the same thing is happening there. Mm. So where again, people want to do business with people. And so these boutique owners will grow massive followings in apparel. They'll have, you know, great products, a lot of made in America products as well. But all of a sudden we see knockoff sites like Bella Lily and Fairy Season, where you think you can buy this really cute jacket for $8. And then when you right. buy it, it fits your Cabbage Patch doll. You know, it's just a, a fact, You know, I have Cabbage Patch dolls. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. shout out to the eighties. So this is happening again and again. And I think what's happening now because of the pandemic, and again, I'm going to tell you this is an opportunity, is because people want to do business with people and because people are starting to realize the value of small businesses, I think the consumers become very aware mm. that that's happening. And I think they're moving back to my local boutique or an online boutique or my local eyeglass store and asking, is this yours? Or where did this come from? Or how do I get this product? Do you carry this product because of the relationship that we've been able to build by surviving this pandemic together? 
we start off by saying there were some opportunities or maybe great opportunities mm-hmm. in this market. Yeah. Is there ways that retailers can permanently bring about more efficiency, more results, more sales, even as things return to, uh, I guess, a, a new normal, but as things return to something different than we are currently experiencing, you know, back to some of the old ways, or, or are we going to slip back as retailers? Oh, I just had this great conversation with somebody yesterday who said, you know, I started this business because I wanted more freedom. I wanted to be home with my kids more. Like I wanted all these things, but I found myself in my warehouse, you know, working 14 hour days, just in the hustle and the grind. Right. And I know Mike, you know, number one, she should read clockwork, right? She should figure her QBR out and go through that whole process. How I look at it is, I think this is an opportunity for people to get back to what is their why in the first place, like connecting Mm. back to why did I start this and what do I want? And am I running the business or is the business running me? Mm. And then once I understand that holding firm and setting my boundaries, I look at it as a four-step process. So when a boutique owner, when a small business owner goes back to business, I think every single week we can approach our week with this four-step to-do list. List number one is looking at what are the actions that have to be done every single week in my business? So it's scheduling social media, it's working with vendors, it's reordering, it's taking photos, it's my staff meetings, all the things that have to be done every single week. And as we have staff, we add on a layer of what does my staff have to do every single week? And I'm going to come back to that list in just a second. So every single week. List number two are are what are the big rocks? What are the things I have to do this week? What's the 20% of my list that's going to get me 80% of the results? Mm. What's really going to move the needle this week only? Number three is what's my later list. So what's anything that doesn't fall on list number two, you know, like the the things that keep you up at night and you need to like write down on your nightstand that you can come back to later on. Mm -hmm. I always put those on Trello. That's my list number three. And my list number four is what am I going to say no to this week? What am I going to outsource this week? And specifically if there's women listening, women a lot of times get lost in the trap of yes because we don't want to disappoint someone. So yes, I'll take that call. Yes, I'll take that meeting. Yes, I'll do that thing. But we have to look at our our schedule every week and say, okay, for the fun of it, what is one thing I'm going to find and say no to just to see if I can do it like as a personal challenge, what am I going to eliminate this week? So that's list number four. I'm going to eliminate it. I'm going to outsource it. Now I come back and one of the things that we do for for small businesses is we have a a planner, a day planner that is just for business owners with tips, checklists, all the things, financials, tracking sheets, all in one specific spot. So we come back to a planner, any planner, and we look at list number one, and then we start to time block. And we're all familiar with time blocking and overlaying. What am I going to do this week? And what is my team going to do this week? But more importantly, what's my personal boundary this week that's relevant to my big why? So if my big why is freedom with my family, then you can bet my kids' basketball games, my kids' soccer games, date night with my husband, like those things all get time blocked and overlaid first. Mm. And then I go in and I just start to piece in whatever's on list number one into the outliers of my, my days, like however many hours I choose to work that week. But more importantly, I also have my time. My Amy Porterfield calls it her tiger time. I call it tiger time because I will literally bite your head off if you come into my tiger time. And that is first thing in the morning. Like I'm most creative between seven and 9 a.m. So that's my time to work on my list number two, which is what are my big rocks this week? So as long as I have my tiger time and my big why mapped out, then everything in my list number one, which is what has to be done every single week, can be overlaid and time blocked on top of that. 
So if we can look at that four-step process every week, I think we can get back into setting the boundary of how do I want to go back into business, right? And execute it from that point. I love that. How do we want to go back into business? That's wonderful. Ashley, before we let you go, uh, I want to know a little bit more about the Boutique Hub and where listeners can join your organization. Yeah, we, we service the global boutique industry. So small businesses uh, in retail, women's apparel, children's decor, home beauty, uh, you name it, online or off. You can find us at theboutiquehub.com. And uh, yeah, we would, we would love to help serve your small business. Great. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you, Ashley. Thanks, Ashley. Thanks, Ashley. Thanks, Ashley. <laughs> so, um, all right, Jacob Bloner. You got I love that you got, I hope you were watching. Jacob Bloner's got all the controls in front of him, but he's also got tires on his side in case he needs to go biking immediately. Yeah, I don't think you realize how it took so much work this week to get this set up down here. And the tires, I, I forgot about those. I have to move those. Is that your, uh, is that your the new place you moved into? Yeah, yeah. This so uh, directly underneath is this basement, and uh, so I had to clear everything out of the basement. And I set up like a little studio down here. Yeah, Dude, it's awesome. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I love it. I love it. <laughs> All right, so um, we're going to discuss what we learned today in just a minute. Uh, oh no, I guess we'll do that first. Then we'll do. Do we have a game today, Jake Capone? Yes, I do. Ooh. Oh, this is going to be Cinco de Mayo edition. Oh, oh nice. my god, we're recording this on Cinco de Mayo. Oh my gosh. Um, and then uh, let's start off with what we learned today. So uh, why don't we rotate around? Kels, why don't you go first? What did you learn from Ashley? Oh, I love this so much. Um, first of all, I loved how she said connecting in the chaos. Um, I just feel like that's such a great way to think about this. Like, you know, we're all in this together. So how do we connect in it? And the idea of coming back to our roots. Why are we in business? It's to serve people. So how do we connect with people in a new way? And this is such a wonderful opportunity to do that. Um, I just keep thinking like, we can't anticipate what the future looks like, but we can create what a new future looks like for each of us. Mm. And this is such a perfect opportunity to reset. So I love that. Mm. How about you, Aim? Oh, I love that too. Um, for me, I love that the lifeline to uh, surviving this is to be human, to um, show that that humanness, to connect with others, to connect with your customers, to show them how you're dealing with uh, the trials and maybe laughing together at some of the, the trials that people are all experiencing in this shared experience. Um, but it's that it's that humanness that will save your customers. I really do believe that. And your yes. sense of community. Yes, yeah, such a great observation, right? Because Amazon and Walmart can't do that. No. Um, but we as small business owners can. What did you take out of this, Jay Kaboom? Uh, I love the uh, create or the loyalty over price. Um, so if you, if you, you know, ha have a loyal community, then you don't have to worry about price. And I really, I believe that, um, you know, I mean, I, when I shop for products, if there's a company that I know has great customer service, I'll always go to them. That happened this week, actually. There's a, I called a company. They, the, a guy actually answered the phone, and he answered every single question I had for 10 minutes. And I was like, I'm never going to buy from anyone else regarding that one product, at least. Yeah, yeah I'll say one step further. I, I agree. But I think every buyer has something where we categorize as impactful and important for us, and we, we then – value the relationship. And there's other things I think was just about price. Like there's certain things I, I don't care. I just want the cheap solution. And there's certain things like a Traeger. I gotta tell you the Traeger story. If I haven't, I've told you guys the Traeger smoker story yet. No. Amy? I've heard it, oh. but you should tell it again. 
I'll tell me at the end, if we have time, uh, okay. Jake, Cabone, you tell me, I'll tell you the Traeger story, but it, it's one over loyalty. And now I've, I'm loyal to them because of the community. And I'll, I'll explain. So that's awesome. For me, the takeaway, it was that last line. I thought she dropped a bomb there. She said, how do I want to go back into business? To me, that's the defining statement that this is the, the, the board's been wiped clean, the slate's clean, and we can redraw our future. I thought that was amazing. Uh, yeah. We also want to know what you learned, our dear listening friends. So please rate and review us as you feel appropriate and uh, leave a comment. We want to hear what you learned in this episode. All right, Jacob Lone, you know what time it is. Yes, it's time for a game. Can <laughs> I your famous music button? <laughs> Do you know what? I, I think I fixed what was wrong, but anyway, uh, that's for another. Uh, well, one, we'll try on the next. One quick thing I was going to add is uh, she talked about doing like uh, selling like through like Facebook and stuff. So if small businesses are shipping things right now, you, you, the postal service is has been amazing. Um, I've had a lot of trouble with FedEx and UPS. So, because they're overwhelmed and their staffing yeah. conditions, but as far as the postal service, like it's been great. So, I had stuff on eBay this week that I sold, and it was delivered on time. And stuff that was coming to me was delivered on time. The um, the issues with FedEx and UPS, though, it's like taking like days and days and days extra. Huh. So I'll be just an I'll USPS is too for certain things. Is it really? I've, I've, I've this week. Cal's always a downer. Cal. I'm sorry. I just if somebody's listening is like, yeah, that's my jam. It's not necessarily. Wah, wah, USPS wah. is driving every delivering every bicycle tire you want. I mean, you can't <laughs> stop getting bicycles. And, uh, and and pipe insulation, but otherwise, <laughs> yeah, they delivered all of this right here. Everything. Yeah. I was like, yeah. I need tires for the backdrop for the podcast, guys. Can you How help they, me how's USPS failed you, Kels? Uh, media mail. They stopped um, basically scanning media mail, so they just—they're not doing media mail. They're doing it, but they're not—they're not scanning. I forget the term for it, but um, yeah, tracking basically. Yeah, and so it takes like three to four times longer. Oh my gosh! Yeah. And so we've been going with the more expensive option. Um, just make just sure we can get, track and yeah. get stuff there. Yeah. Okay. All right, Jacob Lone, throw us a good game before Kelsey brings us any more downers to us. <laughs> Sorry, guys. No, uh, it's, the, it's the truth. All right, so this is the uh, Cinco de Mayo edition of uh, What's the Fake One? Uh, and this is something that all Can of you Can Ashley are... play into? Yeah, absolutely. All right, so Ashley, got to come off mute since you're, you hung with us. And uh, do you know how to play this game? Have you heard this? No, let's hear all it. All right, Jacob Lone. Okay, so this is a game where uh, I list uh, a, a bunch of stuff about a, a specific product, and then you have to tell me which one was the fake one. So there's in this there are uh, four total, uh, one is fake and three are real. Okay, and this is regarding tequila. Ooh, yeah, nice. so so I figured this was a good group to do this with. Okay, uh, so uh, number one, tequila can be made into synthetic diamonds, according to the WOSD, uh, the World Organization of Synthetic Diamonds. Tequila is a cheap form of manufacturing small diamonds. Uh, number two, uh, farmers who harvest tequila are called hemidors, and it takes 10 years for agave to mature, and a keen eye is needed to tell when ripe. Number three, the largest margarita was made in 2011 and consisted of 2,000 gallons of tequila. And that was the largest like bottle, or, or what do you mean? Like, like, like uh, the world record. For one mar batch? Bottle? Margarita, for, for one giant margarita. Oh, oh, one uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then number four is uh, tequila goes bad. Uh, if it stays unopened, it can last for years. But once opened, it does not age like a fine wine and must be consumed within six months to avoid oxidation and evaporation. So three are, three are facts. Yes. Around three the invention facts. of tequila. And one is an absolute lie. Yes. Okay. 
What was um, the fact about agave? It takes 10 years to get? Uh, 10 years for the agave plant to ripen. Is that okay. about the farmers being humidors? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. So first mover advantage goes to Ashley. Ashley, which one do you think is the one lie? I think it's number four. I don't think tequila is going to go bad. Okay. In six months, nonetheless, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. What, Kels, what do you think? I want to say number four, too, because I don't want that to be true. <laughs> <laughs> I right. definitely drank tequila that's older than six months open. So it's called right. college. <laughs> Amy? I'm tempted with by number four, too. Like open once and then you cap it again or yeah. open, open, no cork. Well, I feel on like it. that should be on the bottles. No. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going with four. All right. So I got to be different I, to make diamonds out of liquid. Yeah. That's suspicious to me. So uh, that's suspicious. The, the humidors. Um, first of all, I wonder if it's pronounced differently because it's Spanish, right? Right. Humidors. Um, but it's throwing me off because I think of like a, uh, Cigar. Like cigar. cigar. Yeah. Yeah. Box. Humidor. Yeah. But I'm going to go with number one. I don't think tequila is turned into these fake diamonds, even though it tastes like it could be. <laughs> what's all right. What's the lie? You guys that ready my for second this? Choice too. You yeah. are all wrong. <gasps> tequila can be made into synthetic diamonds, just very small ones. Uh, oh. Tequila doesn't necessarily go bad, but uh, when it once it's opened, you want to consume it within three to six months because of oxidation. So it changes the flavor profile. Oh. Uh, That's fine. The, fa- the, the fake <laughs> one, anyway. yeah, you're not going to get sick. Uh, the fake one was uh, the largest margarita was made in 2011. Oh, I was going to say that. But 2,000 gallons. No, it wasn't 2,000. You want to know how many gallons it was? Yeah. 8,500 gallons. What? No. Yeah. It was margarita. Making it like a swimming pool? <laughs> it was <laughs> like a, gi- it was a giant vat. Um, and I, they used uh, the traditional ingredients, triple sec, um, the margarita mix. It was in, It's insane. Like if you read about it, it's crazy. Wow. Yeah. Even Kelsey would get wasted on that much. <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't even bother Kelsey. Yeah, she'd probably be, she'd start she'd buzzing. Fine. She's fine. Gallon 7,000. She's like, I think I feel this. <laughs> it might test my limit. Yeah. <laughs> it, might, it might test Kelsey's limit. Oh, that was oh. fun. All right. Good job, um, Jacob Lowe. Thank yeah, well you, done, thank you. All right, assuming the wrap-up music is playing right now, because we got to do it in the background, Kelsey, what should people do? Please rate and subscribe more than anything. If you can, just subscribe wherever you're listening uh, and have a wonderful day. And I uh, want to remind you to send any questions you have to askmike at mikemichalowitz.com. We want to answer your questions. Make sure you check us out on YouTube. we got this thing broadcasting there so you can see all the great fanfare we have going on behind us, including the bicycle tires and the insulated pipes. And the, the, uh, link the, to, thing the link is, to bicycle tires is going to be on there too, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> and the last thing I want you to do is go to MikeMotorbike.com. That's the short version of Mike Callowitz. But go to MikeMotorbike.com. We have lots of resources for you, plus a button that says Get the Tools. If you click on that button, you will get um, access to all of our free tools and resources. And at least once a year, we host a free event. It's a surprise notice where we invite guests in here to learn my latest research. But the only way you can get that is if you click on get the tools. So do that right now. And thank you for listening to All Up In Your Business. We're out of here. See you guys. Bye, Bye. friends. See you guys.